Today, I'm speaking to Rebecca Strickson, and to put it lightly, I'm a huge fan, which I might mention a few times during this interview. Rebecca is a brilliant, down-to-earth, funny, creative powerhouse whose work is widely shared across social media. We discuss the personal journey she's taken, the importance of being brave in business and standing for something, as well as female representation in the creative industry. I absolutely loved speaking to Rebecca and after many, many emails on so many various projects that we've worked together on over the years and some brief Insta chats, this was the first time we have properly spoken. So I do hope you enjoy my conversation with this brilliant woman as much as I did. I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. I'm the founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co. And I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business, doing what you love, is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everybody start theirs. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs, and those who just simply inspire me, and asked them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor, NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. You will find that... Hi, Rebecca. It is so lovely to be talking to you. And I wish that we were together in person, but this is definitely the next best thing. And it's so nice to see your face. You know, actually, we're going to have a whole hour together um, rather than the stolen moments that we've had previously. <laughs> it is. Thank you so much for asking me, Holly. It's an absolute treat to be here. Thank you. And now we're just over 100 days into lockdown in the UK, and I'm recording this series remotely. I'm sitting at my desk. Um, and where are you recording from? And how have you been keeping at the moment? I am currently in my dining room. I'm looking out the window. I'm in Margate in Kent. It's very drizzly, sadly. It's not the greatest day in the world. I'm just looking out at my tomato plants and some seagulls at the moment. Very Margate. (laughs) I'm just, uh, I've got my makeshift desk. Your makeshift desk and a gorgeous mustard, is that a mustard chair behind you? It's just, it's actually just a wooden chair, but it's it's a really nice, like, warm colour. My Lovely housemate, Laura, has spent, she's really achieved stuff in lockdown. She painted this room all by herself. So she's, we've had done some interior decorating. So it's a lovely black in here now. And it makes all the chairs and everything pop quite nicely. So not that you can see that. (laughs) Well, I can, everybody. And it's pretty, pretty gorgeous. You can imagine she lives in a pretty gorgeous place. Um, I wanted to start by asking you about your upbringing. Um, You grew up in uh, Grantham and attended an all-girls grammar school. Um, What was your childhood like? And did you have a love of art from a young, early age? Yeah, absolutely. I really did. My father was a draftsman. So he was, uh, he'd worked in engineering. So he was very nurturing on that count. I, I mean, my family have always been fantastic, but there's always been uh, an air of creating and making in our house, um, even though there was never particularly supplies or money to do anything. There was, I was very much allowed to create what I could with what I had. It, it could have been any better, really. And I went to a girls' school, which was where I met my first art teacher, who was a huge, huge big part of my life, who's still going now, Mr Plant, if you're there. Um, 
he was fantastic. <laughs> uh, so I've always been very much uh, aware that my creativity, my ability to create was very valid. I was never told to not do things. I was never told that there was no point in it. Or Do you know what I mean? I've, I've been very mm. lucky in that sense. It makes me sad when I hear people who uh, were told at some kind of critical point in their childhood or their education that they weren't good enough or that they shouldn't bother, those kind of things. It just makes me so angry because, you know, it's in everybody. We can all do creative things. It's just finding your, it's finding your thing, really, a lot of the time. And you went on, didn't you? You left school and you attended Goldsmiths, University of London, where you trained as a fine artist. Um, And whilst researching you for this podcast, I read that you didn't feel uni was a hugely positive experience for you and that you slightly felt that you couldn't develop your drawing style in the way that you wanted to whilst you were there. Can you tell me a little bit about that time and studying at Goldsmiths? Yeah, I mean, it was... I got into my head when I was about 14 that I wanted to go to Goldsmiths and nobody was able to tell me any different. I decided it was entirely basically down to the fact that uh, Graham Cox and Blur had been there (laughs) and um, (laughs) that, you know, there was all the YBAs at the time. So we're talking like late 90s. So David Hurst and all all that bunch. And I was like, I'm going to be a famous artist. I'm going to go to the best art college in the country. My best friend, Heidi, had already gone there the year before me. Great. It's going to be fantastic. So I kind of got there. And my entire foundation course had been spent quite, you know, drawing and painting, basically. Uh, and I got there and it was very like, oh, no, we're totally conceptual here. So you had to have your own initiative. And I just did. And I just didn't have it at the time. Uh, so I kind of got there. And I don't get me wrong. I had a great time. I probably had too much of a good time. <laughs> I was and, imagining. Yeah. And I met, you know, I have lifelong friends. I met some of my best friends there. And contact-wise, great. But I wasn't making the kind of work that very much at the time they wanted people to make. And I kind of came out of it like, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't really want to be involved in the art world at all. I didn't I didn't like the way it was. I didn't, I didn't like how masculine it was, how uh, money-led it was as well. And the people who'd done, who'd done well, who'd supposedly done great, were doing really boring work, I thought. I felt... I was like, am I being too critical? But I was like, just don't, don't get it. I don't get it. I think that was it. I was like, I was brought up, you know, in a fairly, in a, in a working class area of Lincolnshire. So I felt like I, had, I was responsible and I had to do really well. But also I was like, I can't lie about this. I don't get it. I don't understand fine art. And I was like, I just want to draw stuff, really. I just want to make things. So I kind of, I left uni in 2002 and I didn't draw anything for five years. How did you find your way back it was, it was really interesting, actually. Uh, a friend of mine ran a night, uh, a music night. I started making the posters. And I was like, I actually really enjoy this. And I started making collage and very rudimentary Photoshop and things like that. And I thought, oh, I could actually really get into this. This is quite fun. And I was really into music. I still am. And I would DJ at the night as well. And, yeah, I just started really drawing things and noting things down and kind of going, this is what you want to do. This is what you like. That's so good to hear because it's it's very difficult, isn't it, when you have a sort of passion and a yeah. fire for something and then really the world doesn't, well, it's not delivering what you yeah. thought it was going to deliver. And, and then you've had to find your way back. Yeah. I'd love to know um, 
about those early days of your career because mm. you discovered the medium which you wanted to work in. Um, how did you develop your technique and how did you develop your confidence that you were like, actually, I can do this as a as a job? Well, I had, so I'd been working as, I was working for the government. So I was working as a civil servant in a quango, investigating dodgy councillors, quite far away from what I do now. this was about 2007 something like that they relocated to Manchester and I didn't want to move to Manchester at the time with my partner so I took redundancy redundancy was still pretty good in those days so it paid for a laptop and it paid for a subscription to Photoshop and I was like right okay took my next job which was working in an animation company as an office manager I was the officially the worst office manager they've ever had Um, (laughs) so when I but while I was there I met uh, an incredible woman called Melody Sylvester, who is an uh, animation and film producer. And she was, she'd seen me drawing and doing things in the office, not doing my work, basically. And she was like, oh, you, do you want to have a crack at something? Do you want to have a go at doing some work with some of the directors? We need, some, we need a typeface creating for the latest uh, Stop, Look and Listen campaign. And I was like, yeah. She was like, if it's any good, we'll use it and we'll pay you. If it's not, we won't. I was like, okay, so I spent, and I did it all by hand, did it all pencil and paper. This was pre-computer. And, she, and they used it and they paid me. And I was like, oh my God, this could actually be a thing that I could do. And I could see other people at the office doing things. And I was like, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can actually make a job out of this. And it got to the point where I was like, I'm going to have to try. I had this kind of weird epiphany. And I was sitting at home and going, you've got to try this. You can't not try this anymore. You know, this is it. This yeah. is a reckoning of sorts by going if you don't do this if you don't give it a shot you're always going to wonder what happened if you didn't and I just I quit and I went into the office and I spoke to my lovely manager and I went I'm really sorry but I'm gonna leave and he was like thank god (laughs) it's like oh that's great news (laughs) he was like I love you but you're terrible at this job I was like thanks and that was 11 years ago now oh my goodness a slow long haul but finally, I'm where I am now. Your work is very distinctive. And, and you know, I'm a massive fan of yours. Yeah. And it's very vibrant, eye-popping colours, um, highly patterned, often with a very strong or political message, which yeah. of course gets me every single time. Um, and I love that you've taken this inspiration from that sort of old trade union banners yeah. and protest banners um, and placards and that represents movements within our society. Yeah. Um, Tell me about it, because I've always wanted to know about these banners and these sentiments that you're so inspired by. Was that, you know, because you have to be quite brave. Mm, Yeah, I think that, well, I mean, the whole thing came about for, I've always been interested in trade union and Victorian kind of pattern work. I mean, I'm a huge pre-Raphaelite artist fan, and that's been with me since childhood, and that comes from my parents. Um, and I've always been really interested in intricate design. And I never felt that I had a way of getting it into my work. I never felt that it married in with a lot of the quite stark black and white, you know, um, figurative stuff I was doing. So I really wanted to start doing that anyway. And then it was to do with the election 2017. You know, I'm a, I am a card-carrying Labour Party supporter, um, and I don't make any bones about that. You know, I'm pretty, pretty left-wing. <laughs> we say um and I thought right how can you use your work for some good in terms of sharing it on Instagram and I kind of started 
building up a little bit of an Instagram following anyway with various things, had been starting to move more into pattern work. And I really got into looking at, at the history of trade union banners and the history of um, friendly society banners and, and things like that. Mm. Where I'm from, I'm from Lincolnshire and I'm from very close to the Nottinghamshire border. I mean, I was very young, but I vaguely remember the miners' strike. And I remember that, um, you know, my family are very old school labour. They're all glass workers, steel workers, dock workers, that kind of thing. So we've always worked and we've always seen what that can produce. So it's always kind of there in the background. I thought, well, how can you maybe update that slightly for today? Um, still using that, um, uh, the power of that pattern and those colours and mm. things. How can you bring it into something uh, that, that could be utilised today and it would be attractive to other people? And I think the, the election gave me the opportunity to go, well, why not try something in terms of making some supportive uh, posts? And there was, you know... Obviously, it was a very political time in 2017 already. But I thought, well, I'll try it. You know, maybe this is the perfect time. It's one of those times where you just think things have just, they just slot into place. So I did a couple of prints. And I remember going for lunch with my partner at the time. And I, he was like, you should sell them. You should try something. I said, I feel really bad about trying to make money out of something political. And he was like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't be. Just, Could you give some money to charity? And I put them up. And that's when we were sitting in the restaurant. It was just like... God, something like 50, 60 people bought them. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> God, people actually want this. People are interested. And then it just went nuts. It went crazy. It went totally viral. Um, and they were being shared by people with millions of followers. And I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> can, we get, can we get the bill, please? Um, we need to go. <laughs> and it just up buying envelopes and stuff so yeah it was crazy and it just was like well there's obviously a market for this people want it people people love sharing things that's the thing and I was like I'm really aware that where I fitted in certainly in terms of Instagram you know sharing a thing that aligns to people's beliefs that maybe they can't make themselves or you know people it's what Instagram's about isn't it people like sharing an image so yeah kind of tapping into that and then from that point you obviously grew confidence um, and you started working with galleries. You started uh, working with um, uh, collaborations with Columbia Records or Channel 4 or Argent Provocateur, to name just a few. And you've also designed these, you know, set of stamps for Royal Mail. Now, this must be the (laughs) craziest moment for you when you're going, uh, you know, so from that sort of like, oh, people like what I do. And of course, you know, let's not make out it's a lovely linear line where you know everything just starts to work out we we all know anyone who's got a business knows that that's not the case yeah. um but this must have been really significant for you because I know your father had a love of stamp collecting yeah. and you know there you are you know yeah. uh, designing a stamp what was that experience like <laughs> well it's interesting to talk about timeline because the stamp thing actually happened before the election thing. And ah. the stamp thing was early 2017. Well, we started talking about it in 2015 because they take years to make. Um, and they came out in 2017. But yeah, dad had been... So yeah, I sadly lost my father 10 years ago. And he had been an uh, avid stamp collector. No, nothing rare or anything like that. Just really loved collecting stamps. And when he died and we were starting to clear through loads of stuff with mum, I, I found them all. And I kind of had a vague memory as a kid that he did it. There's thousands of them. So when I got a call from uh, an agency in Manchester called True North, and they were like, uh, do you want to design a set of stamps? And I was like, let me have a think. 
yep. <laughs> oh my word, five steps up. And they were like, and the, the, the uh, theme is ancient Britain, so it's all about Neolithic, uh, Bronze Age, Stone Age stuff. And I was like, oh my god, this is crazy. Who gets asked to do these things? We used to chat actually. We could laugh about how somebody needs to make a TV program about it because the process is nuts. You have to go through so many. I've never done a more bureaucratic thing in my life. But not unpleasant, just long. You have to go through so many people and you're not allowed to know who they are, which is interesting. There's a thing called the Stamp Advisory Committee. They have the final say and it's made up of stamp collectors, heads of design agencies, people from the palace. And you're not allowed to know who no they are. No way. You're not. You're, I did you can't, not know that. It is fascinating. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Things went through like 25 different changes because it was like, oh, so-and-so says, can you change that? And blah, blah, blah. You're um, like, tell me who that person yeah, is. Yeah, who, who said it? Was it the Queen? <laughs> Did she tell me something? <laughs> but it was uh, it was a really enjoyable, interesting process. But the thing was, at the end of it, I was like, I've made it. I've done it. Made it. Made some stuff. That's it. And that was it. And then nothing. Silence. Never got a bit of work from it. Ever. Is that not unbelievable? Crazy. Instead, tumbleweed. Absolute tumbleweed. Literally went back to work in a shop. <laughs> want to win a one-to-one 90-minute mentoring session with me well thanks to NatWest you can all you need to do is sign up to the NatWest Business Builder using our code to be in with a chance the Business Builder is an entirely free e-learning site packed full of information and advice covering everything from well-being to finance head to natwestbusinesshub.com forward slash holly tucker to find out all the details now, as you know, each week we run a competition with NatWest who, in a world first, give away their ad break space to small businesses and independents. They truly believe in the power of small and want to give you the opportunity to showcase your brilliant businesses to hundreds and thousands of listeners. So without further ado, let me hand over to this week's NatWest Independent Ad Break winner. Hi, it's Hayley here, co-founder of Spark Club, a two-woman team specialising in branding and innovation. We support businesses to get the absolute best out of their brands. Our vision is to inspire innovation, and with that in mind, we have developed a course in collaboration with three other female entrepreneurs, Moxie VA, Anna the Designer, and Touchpoints Marketing. The course is for high street businesses designed specifically to be a one-stop shop for becoming successful online. The beauty of this course is that it's not just about marketing or branding. It covers getting to know your customer, redefining your brand, reimagining, refining and developing your product range, bringing it all together and selling online. To find out more, visit our website sparkclub.com or give us a follow at sparkclub on Instagram. If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, we've created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website, holly.co. Between Tumbleweed and where you are today, you Mm. also then started creating some beautiful illustrations um, for really the feminist movement. And it's one of, you know, one of our core values at Holly & Co is, 
you know, empowering women and yeah. um, helping them feel strong enough to go after their dreams. Yeah. And so I, I absolutely love your work around this subject. Is it something um, that's important to you because of your experiences? What was it that you decided to take that sort of journey with the feminist route? I think that a lot of it came from, I mean, I've always been a kind of staunch intersexual feminist anyway. It's so important to me. Um, I think I was very naive for a long time about my industry and thought that it was very much based purely on talent. And then I was like, oh, it's not, is it? It's very nepotistic. Like every every creative industry is. and has many, as much as, you know, a lot of people say they're employing lots of women and 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 things like that you look to the top tier and everybody looks the same at the top and I think mm-hmm. I just got really angry and I thought you know what not only am I really angry about it I can I can do something about it now I can actually make work about it and I, I think a lot of artists will, will feel the same that, that it doesn't feel like you're doing enough that you're only making pictures but you know it's, it is a huge thing to be able to do it and to have a voice that's listened to and, and put and you know I take my following on social media really really seriously I think it's really important and I'm aware that I, you know, okay, I'm not, I've not got hundreds of thousands of followers, but you know, the people that are there are there for a reason, but I think, yeah, I think female representation in the creative industry. I remember doing a talk a couple of years ago. I can't remember the exact statistics, but there was something about how the proportion of women in the, uh, in universities is incredibly high and something happens between going to uni and the industry where we lose all these women where are they going what are they doing it's not just childbirth and changing careers it's there is a barrier there there is a real barrier and especially for you know black women and any women of color you know that something's going on there what do you when you think about that question uh, you you must have some theories well from thinking and talking to people in the in advertising and well in production basically there's very rigid rigid structures in companies that are not being flexible to the needs of the specific needs of women the idea that because you've got a family and you might not be able to do a certain thing is is just seen as like oh you're just getting in the way or you just don't want to you don't want to do enough that you'll change your entire life for a job or you're deliberately being awkward you're deliberately being antagonistic um Whereas, you know, not to say that guys are just jumping and going, I'll do it, I'll do it. But they just can because there aren't those barriers for them. They're not being told these things, even if they're fathers. Do you know what I mean? They're, they are just being, mm. it's a it's a white male industry built for white men, basically. And the, the need to change it to accommodate anybody else is so slow. And I think things are changing. But, you know, when normality is what white men want, then... You know, there, there are so many pitfalls for women and, and yeah, and, and everybody else that isn't that, basically. And it must be that actually when you use that example and that's such a, you know, things when the when an example is used, it's so clear, isn't it? In that example, if that advertising crew, et cetera, et cetera, had to have quotas you know, this is where it starts to force, you know, because I don't necessarily always believe in quotas. But yeah. in that scenario, it does start to force it. Otherwise, actually, how does it break? Yeah. And it's, it's going to be very interesting, isn't it, to see 
how this sort of lockdown period has caused um, maybe things like that to break. I, I really hope things are going to change. Well, they are changing, definitely. But I think there's, especially in the sense of, like, you know, flexible working for mothers and stuff like that, you know, so, for so long, so many industries said it's not possible. Well, it is. It clearly is because you've been forced to do it now. People will not take on board these things until they're literally made to. And that's mm. painful and hard. And that's where protest and, and protesting and rioting comes in, basically, because you <laughs> make people do stuff because they won't do it unless you make them. And I think I'd like to think that wasn't the case, but it is. What's absolutely fascinating is that you've never shied away from sharing your political views through your work. And I know that a few years ago, having a strong political view might have seemed like a risky step Hmm. when building a brand. But now the landscape is changing um, and how businesses now almost in a way, well, I I believe, need to be political or not just political, need to be able to stand by a viewpoint that is not vanilla or not, uh, you know, it's actually speaks from the heart. It's about what they believe in. Again, I'm going to use that word. You have to be brave. You have to be able to put yourself out there and and know that it's not going to be for everyone. And when you build a business and you're trying to pay your mortgage or your rent, you sort of need it to be for everyone. You know, you you need everyone to buy everything. Um, What's your views on this? It is really not for everybody, I would say. Um, I very much kind of put my eggs in one basket and thought, fuck it. You just went, yeah. you know what? Yeah. This is what you think. This is what you believe in. Anybody challenges you on this, you can talk about it because this is honesty and truth to you. My real issue with a lot of this work is performative activism, where, and I think that's where we've got, you know, we've had the last couple of years where every industry is bought into feminism and now they're all buying into activism because it sells stuff at the moment. And that makes me, I can't tell you how angry that makes me. Yes, it's important to be political. It's important for a company to have a viewpoint, but you have to be it. You have to believe it, not just say it. Mm. It has to run through every single thing you do in your company, from your from your board members to your financial team. You know, you've mm. got to you've got to live it, not just say it. And I think that's we're going to have a lot of that for a long time. Of people, you know, being oh yeah, no, we're into all this, and you know, we care about this. And it's I mean, the whole I mean, Black Lives Matter movement has shown that up so well that so many people who say they are one thing are literally just saying it and they're not actually doing it mm-hmm. because it's hard. It's hard work. It's unpleasant. You're going to get called out. People are going to ask for receipts and people don't like that. But, you know, yeah, things aren't going to change until you do. Not everybody has to make political work. I don't believe that. I don't think mm-hmm. it's for everybody. There's a lot of space for all of the things we do. I wouldn't exp- you know, it'd be weird if children's book illustrators started making sweary work something because it would just not be their thing but I kind of pinned my colours to the mask quite early on and I know that I've probably lost work because of it you know I've I've been told that you know to take things out of a portfolio because people won't like it uh that's fine you know I don't it's not the only work I make it's not the only thing I do you know I'm not trying to sneak a covert political message into everything still do yeah you know Norm, normal but you know I still do you know non-political work as well and I just think it's important that when I do do the stuff that's my personal things which are the things that sell the most so there's definitely mm-hmm. something to be said for that uh that you know I'm, I'm true to myself and I, and I go with it you know 100% so just picking up on something you said there because we need to understand that the you in you 
is actually potentially the USP of your business, of your brand. And um, as you said, your political work or the work that you're putting out there that's about your beliefs is the ones that sells the most. Um, and and it's that and it, and again when I'm talking about say being political I'm actually also um, referring to what you believe in it's not just politics yeah, yeah exactly exactly and, and actually it's about what you believe in and putting it out there have you seen um, that rise in others doing this have you yeah. seen more confidence and this sort of change where people are becoming their own brand? I think that's definitely a huge thing. Um, you know, I, I've definitely seen it. I've definitely seen people coming out a bit more and being, you know, literally from, you know, just saying, you know, how they personally feel about something in the news, whereas they, you know, have very much run a business like, oh, we don't we do not deal with politics. And I think people have finally got the, how privileged a position it is for you to be able to say, I'm not interested in politics. I don't talk about it. You know, everything's political. And that's actually a really, it's not a good position to be in. And I think people are finally realising that actually having a stance on something can really help your business. Sounds really mercenary, but, you know, we're not not all massive conglomerates dealing with it. You know, I think people want to know who's behind brands, especially if you're an independent. They want to know what people think. They want to know what you care about. You know, it doesn't matter that you're selling, I don't know, baby clothes or you're selling candles people care that you're the one making them so what do you think about things and you know coming out and saying look this is who I am and and this is very much in line with I think what Instagram was trying to do as well I talk about Instagram a lot because it's so massively important to my business um that you know people being able to see behind the scenes stuff or process things and things like that oh god people love it you know people are nosy (laughs) people are interested in things they want to know stuff and the more yeah we could we can we can put it all into something beautiful can't we like you know they're just curious apparently people are nosy um so tell me the power of community you're talking about instagram and you've created this most wonderful piece of artwork uh for holly and co for our shop when we were campaign shop independent and that was a couple of years ago yeah yeah i know um and it's been shared thousands of times and I right. remember speaking to Alice from We Built the City yeah. um, when I interviewed her for the podcast and I know that in 2018 you took on this completely beautiful mural uh, right around her shop storefront wasn't it yeah. in Carnaby Street yeah. and it was entitled Together and I was completely blown away with this was when the love affair I literally I'll just tell you <laughs> I saw that I saw that and um, my founders Carrie and Gabby they just went, oh gosh, oh gosh. And I just went, do you think I can buy them? And she said, oh, probably not, Holly. It's actually on the storefront. I was like, I've never seen anything so amazing in my life. And, and from that moment, I was hooked on you. Um, but this this idea of collaboration and community yeah. and this, it's a brilliant tool, isn't it, for yeah. businesses. Um Tell me about collaboration and, and and what you feel about it, but where do you think it's also going? Um, I think that it's really, you know what, for years and years and years, I worked alone and I worked by myself and I found it very lonely and I didn't really enjoy it. Um, and I wanted to work with people. I really, I, I mean, I am a solitary worker. Do you know what I mean? I will sit yeah. by myself in front of the computer, but I really love the, what happens when two or more people meet and start 
you know, bouncing off each other. I don't believe in arc by committee. I don't think you need loads of people to do it. And that can be really problematic when two people get involved. But a collaboration of a couple of like-minded people can create something that you just can't do by yourself. Um, and whether that's bringing skill, different skills in or you're bringing different ideas in, um, I think it's really important. And to me, community has always been massive. I think because I was always searching for a good community and I think now I've got it down here I really feel I finally found it I think in terms of where it's going I think um I certainly know like big brands have their own reasons for wanting to collaborate with independent designers and you know you can be very cynical about that and it being about money and it just being about you know trying to cash in on something but there's a two-way street you know there's money there that can help people do stuff they would never normally have the opportunity to do or I think it's definitely going to happen more I feel like it's going to keep being a huge thing um because that we need this constant turnover of newness we need brand new ideas all the time and uh, and collaboration seems to be something that always throws up you know new and interesting things and it's all about have, being able to have the you know the means to make as well I remember um, interviewing Rob Ryan and um, he spoke about the moment where, you know, for years he thought that sort of collaborating or working um, with other people or, you know, having his designs used on things was selling out. You know, that was absolutely what his, you know, community he thought would think. And he sort of took this and I remember him telling me there was a moment in time and he just said, no, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to apologize because actually the money that I will make will allow me to create, will allow me to build a business that then means this art is out there for more people to enjoy. What's your viewpoint on that? Because I think a lot of small businesses and artists and illustrators and all, all creative folk out there always fear this moment of, you know, am I selling out? Have you ever felt like that? Yeah, definitely. I really agree with what Rob says, though. I think there's that real fear that you're like, um, if I start making 250 prints and that I'm selling for £35, is that like, you know, in comparison to selling one original for £1,000? Like if you're selling yes. an original for £1,000, so slim, that you're like, I think you're driven by a desperation and need to, you finally get to the point where you're like, fuck it, I need to make some money. Um, yes, I think I definitely had that kind of idea of like uh, I kind of put off doing print sales and doing like a print shop for years, like years and years and years. But also, I was like, nobody want it, nobody want to buy them. So it was a it was a confidence thing, though, anyway. But selling out is this kind of I think a large part of that is this myth that lives in people's heads that is and actually based on anything that anybody says in the real world. It's that little voice that oh, is also responsible for things like imposter syndrome. And all those things, that nasty little bug in your head that goes, you know what, if you do this, everyone will think you're shit. Nobody thinks these things, actually. But you don't get to thinking that until you've got the confidence, you know. I was just talking to my housemate about this the day, actually, and saying, like, um, you know, when you become more confident about things, you kind of forget what it was like to be not confident about things. Now I just don't care, just pop it out there and see what happens. We 
We've teamed up with our friends at Three, and all year we'll be working together to make business dreams come true. Share your dreams on social using hashtag Holly and Co Dreamer, and who knows what will come true. With Three Means Business Plan, I love that you can get up to five hundred pounds worth of benefits from their specialist partners to help give your business a helping hand. Whether you need support with accounting or building a new website, Three have got you covered. Now over to a short story about those that dreamt big and flew. Paul Smith is renowned worldwide for his creative imagination and strong brand identity. Classic with a twist remains this guiding principle of the company. But Paul's early aspirations were to become a cyclist. Born in Nottingham, Paul left school aged 15 and went to work in a clothing warehouse as an errand boy. It was a means to an end and his great passion was to practice his cycling every other hour of his day. But age 17, a near-fatal cycling accident left him in hospital for close to six months. During his recovery, he made friends with some local art college students, and they encouraged him to explore the world of art and fashion. It was then that his true passion was ignited, and armed with his new interest, he returned to the factory and began making displays for the showroom. He went on to take classes in tailoring before working on Savile Row, where his designs were worn by celebrities, including footballer George Best. In 1970, Paul left the heady thrill of London and returned to Nottingham to open his first store. It was just three square metres in size, but made a huge impact. And just six years later, he was showing his first collection in Paris. Paul Smith is now a global British brand, which has expanded into over 70 countries. He was also the first ever UK designer to be awarded a knighthood, and this year marks 50 years of the incredible brand. But how does one remain relevant and fresh after 50 years? Well, as Paul Smith once said, you can find imagination in everything, and if you can't, then you're not properly looking. Don't forget to share your own business dream using hashtag Holly and Co Dreamer. To discover more about Three's business plans, search Three Means Business. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration. One of my favourite um, all-time um, pieces is the community poster um, that you mm. created. And it really spoke to me and I think just represents this small business community so well. And I saw that recently you were involved um, with the most incredible project alongside other artists. You were creating, uh, creating street art. Was that right? Thanking NHS and yes. key staff workers. And it all happened very quickly, didn't yeah, it? it Tell me that story. So Laura from In Good Company got in touch with me and said, you know, this is crazy. I've literally got like 48 hours. Can you do this? Um, and it was like, what, three, two or three weeks into lockdown, something like that. Um, and I was like, I can probably give you turn something around in a day for you, if that's okay, if you want it. Uh, and so she kind of got me involved in that. And then it went a bit nuts and they started selling them. And um, my favourite thing is to go around towns trying to find out who's got mine. <laughs> There's a couple in Margate. I'm always like waving outside the window going, I did that. And then people are like, oh, why? <laughs> um, but it was a wonderful project. It was, it was fantastic. And she's really, she worked so hard 
She is incredible, Laura's. And um, she is so determined and so into it as well and so passionate about it um, that you can't not work with her on things. She's yeah. incredible. Yeah. But yeah, the, the the next reiteration of it was gin. So there's a gin with the design on coming out. So that's no way. Yeah. So if you go to Folklore Distillery's site, you can see about it there. So you can actually own it on a gimbal as well as on a poster. And then they think there's paper versions coming. There's all kind of things happening with it. It's still very much an active, ongoing project. So it's great. I love it. Well, it will make drinking gin. You'll you'll sort of feel that you're doing something <laughs> good. Gin. <laughs> Virtuous Jim with Rebecca. <laughs> and uh, talking uh, talking of doing wonderful things, we were before we started recording, I was just asking how your Zoom classes were going because you have been offering kids the opportunity to connect and be creative during this lockdown period. And you said how much you enjoyed it. And we, oh, we, we couldn't it. believe how many weeks that you had been actually yeah. doing it. So we're, what, 16, 17 weeks in now, do... Started off with more, but now we do a Wednesday and a Friday morning class at 10.30. So it's free, open to anybody. It's pitched to around about five to seven-year-olds that we get a lot of parents involved as well, and some older kids and some younger. Uh, so we have a theme every week, um, which has been under the sea, magic, colour, happiness, food, you name it. And then we sit down for half an hour, 40 minutes, with me on Zoom, and I just talk rubbish to them, and they love it. <laughs> and they, and it's great, and, we, and we, we open the mic up so we could chat, and they tell me what they've been doing all week, and then they show me what they've been making. So it's it's brilliant. I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. I thought, oh, well, I'll give it, you know, a couple of weeks. I certainly didn't think I'd still be doing it now. But I've got this little community of um, children all over the country and they are fabulous. They never fail to make me die with the things that they come out with. And lots of mums have done email me their pictures afterwards to show me what's happened. And there's a couple of kids stuff that's oh, it's just astonishing. It's just, like the theme will have been something, and they'll have just gone oh totally somewhere else with it. Like there's a there's a little girl who just with sticks like random lollipop sticks and stuff on stuff. But that's kids, isn't it? It's brilliant, you know. I love doing it. So I've, I've got to work out a way of kind of knitting it into the rest of my practice in a way, because I actually really enjoy yeah. it. I mean, I'm not a teacher. I'm not trained to be a teacher at all. But I've got, I think I've just got one of those faces that kids like. <laughs> I've just got an expressive face. <laughs> Children are like, oh, well, this is there. And I've had, you know, parents have been like, thank you so much. I think I just wanted to do something that would help people, basically. Mm. I think everyone was like in this hell of you know trying to work out what the hell's going on in the world and work still a lot of people and look after their children I was like if I can give people half an hour a week to do that twice a week where they don't have to come up with something then yeah I think that's easy for me to do so and just picking up on that you you know you you're now saying so something out of lockdown you potentially want to weave back into your business moving forward mm. and actually it's something well you would never have done this potentially before no not really tell me about that because actually that's I think something that's quite interesting it's come out of this period of time where potentially people have tried things and now they're going to actually continue with them and yeah. potentially monetize them and again we have to remind ourselves four months ago really yeah. would you have said oh you could 
start to create courses online oh no you need to come to a physical place That's yeah absolutely. absolutely you know you've got to get all the kids together oh, and then you'd be like oh, yeah. forget it no, well, this <laughs> I'm is not it. dealing with that <laughs> one of the things I've been doing I've only done a couple because I kind of trialed it so I was doing kids parties and they have turned out like absolutely amazing my friend and she was like will you do one for Rose's birthday so she was like I think yeah we'll give it a shot so I emailed her a picture, basically, and she sent that on to all the mums and dads. So we, I sat down with like nine, seven-year-olds for an hour, and we coloured. We were all doing the same thing, so we were all colouring in a picture and uh, talking about it being Rose's birthday. And they left. They went on. I left the meeting, and she was like, "They went on for like two hours after you left." And I was like, "Wow, kids' parties when I don't have to be there." <laughs> That's a great thing. So I was like, maybe there's a, I think lots of people are going, maybe there is actually money in these things, you know, maybe there's stuff that we can do. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I, I completely agree. You, you hear about all these bread makers and these, oh, yeah. you know, these, those who are doing things behind the scenes, suddenly putting their work and their talents in front of the screen and Instagram followers, everything going, you know, nuts really. And it's, it's an amazing thing to see. Yeah. Um, I want to um, ask you a question, which is probably one of the biggest questions from this community um, when it comes to monetizing yeah. what you do. I mean, only the other day was I talking to somebody and they had worked out that they were 50p an hour. Yeah. What yeah. advice would you give from going, you know, I'm not saying that you're there yet, you know, and and you'd already done the Royal Mail and we've got had tumbleweed moments and I'm sure <laughs> yeah. you'll say that there will be more. Absolutely. But what would what would you say from your experience of having this journey, the the, the journey of monetizing your work, your worth as well? Uh, it's very hard. I think if you talk to anybody in any art industry, the pricing, I've, gen- I've had this conversation with somebody already today, the pricing is the hard bit, you know, the making that works easy. You don't even notice how long you take to make things sometimes. You have got to be brutally honest with yourself about how long you take to do something you have got to be really you know quite I don't want to say arsey because I don't think it's necessarily arsey but you have got to be it's a learning curve but you've got to be pretty brutal about it and you have got to you've got to do something about it you can't you can't ignore it you've got to do something about it you can't your business will fail if you don't and people won't pay for something if they don't think it's worth it as well and it works both ways it's like most people are worried, spend time worrying about going, oh, I'm charging too much. You can charge too little as well. And then people think it's not very good. So you have to yes. find that sweet spot in the middle. And that can take a while. And don't think you're necessarily going to hit it straight away. I'm quite easy. I have, set, I, have about, I have a handful of price points. But I've started thinking about changing them in, you know, in light of everything that's happened. But also because I haven't changed them for like four years. Um, and you do kind of go, oh, will anybody buy this? And will anybody buy that? And you move into different brackets of things you know the people who buy my work for 300 pounds and up are not necessarily the same people buying 35 pound things so you where who are your markets who are you aiming it at mm-hmm. uh, and be uh, be you know I think it, it's again it's about bravery and confidence that people are going to go along with you on the journey and, and buy the things that you you say you're going to sell but you know you, you cannot shortchange yourself on this you know, you are valuable and you are important and the, and these things just don't exist without you. You know, this, these products, are, they don't live if you're not there doing them. So you have to be kind 
to yourself as well in a way and and value what you do and yeah it's hard it's really there isn't an easy answer to it at all it's really hard and what's it's it's I've never heard someone say that and it's so true the product or your service or your creativity doesn't exist without you creating it so what's that worth so would you rather it not you know would that customer rather not be there you know and actually if you asked I would say nine out of ten customers would say I absolutely want you there yeah you know I absolutely want to buy this um and it's so in a way you're almost doing a disjustice to your customers by thinking that you're sort of charging something fair or slightly on the lower side. Whereas if that means that there is a possibility of you not existing, but it does take that, it does take confidence, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. Yeah. And what do you see for the future? Like, I'm not saying you have a five-year plan. I'm I'm not going there. (laughs) I'm just saying, (laughs) yeah. But I'm going like when you look at the future and you look over the next 20 years and you do you think you found where you want to be or are you still on the journey? I think I will always be on a journey, but I want to be doing this and I'm comfortable doing it, but not so comfortable. I don't want to change. I'm happy. I'm the happiest I've ever been, to be honest. I mean, in one of the unhappiest times of the world, didn't see this coming at all. But um, I'm really finally have in the last I'd say the last three years worked out I think a lot of it's to do with the fact that I was 40 this year as well I think I've, I've gained a huge amount of solace and comfort from turning 40 and and just go kind of breathing out and going I don't have to pretend loads of stuff anymore mm. you know it's going to be making this work and just making more exciting and bigger and different iterations of it and that's not just because I think it is popular it, it to me it feels right it feels like I, this is what I need to be doing basically I'm very glad to hear that because um yeah I, as I said for the 10th time this interview I'm a big fan <laughs> um we're coming to the end of this interview and I could talk to you a lot lot more but building a business uh, I liken it to an epic roller coaster what would you say has been one of your biggest lows whilst building your brand uh the bit the the hardest thing and the lowest I personally has ever been was uh about two and a half years ago I had to have an operation I had to have a massive major operation on my leg that had kind of come a bit out of the blue um and then I also broke up with my fiance and I had to move back into my mum's for 18 months and it all happened Mm. very quickly and I am glad now for all of these things but at the time it was so monumental and it was so huge and it was so hard and it was it was like you know I had 10 pounds in the bank and we broke up and three days later I was at my mum's house and that was it and she lives in, well I was back in Lincolnshire and I've been living in South London for 20 years so I was contending with a lot of feelings that I had failed at 20 years of living in London that you know I I had the failure of a relationship and a bit, well, somebody I thought was going to get married to. And then I was like, and you're undergoing major surgery <laughs> in a few months' time. Um, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And But out of that was a real, like, you have got the chance now to sort This is the thing. I've already done lockdown once. Did it last year. I was completely incapacitated and couldn't leave a room for a month. I, I know what this is already like. But it was like, here's your chance to um, start again. Who gets that? Whoever gets such mm. a and it was constantly like see the positive, see the positive, see the positive, almost in a like a maniacal 
you're going crazy kind of way but I was like you've got to get something out of this you've got to get something out of this this has got to, got to be worthwhile um and it was and it ended up being coming the highest point of my career to be honest so um but yeah that was low that was really low that that doesn't sound good <laughs> it does not sound good and tell me conversely that the your greatest high okay it sounds it does sound almost like a terrible mercenary capitalist but it was going to my accountant and her telling me how much I'd made that year which was 25 grand more than the year before and she gave me a little round of applause (laughs) and I posted like the highest earnings I'd ever posted and it was like if you can do that in that year what else can you do you know what else can you come out with you know and it was a real like I realized I'm one of those people that you know, when adversity strikes, goes for it. And I get so much solace out of my work. You know, when things are bad, I draw, I draw and I draw and I draw. And I think that's because I don't see what I do necessarily as an industry all the time. It is it, it is my life. It is what I do. I'm nothing if I'm not making stuff. Yeah, it was being able to turn that round by, not entirely by myself, obviously I was hugely supported by my family and my friends, but it was being able to turn that round and go, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I did it. Did it? I love that, and 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 I love that. That's a greatest high because I actually think for especially for an artist, you know, it's that sort of this is real stuff when you're building a business. You know, you know this sort of idea that we can all sort of live off air and create art, and actually that is amazing. You know, to be able to do something in that year is just fantastic yeah. and gives you that motivation to go, what next? Yeah. How else can I, what else can I plan in my life? I deserve to be able to plan in my life. Yeah. I deserve to have milestones and um, my world to become better and better. Yeah. And, um, and, and certainly, you know, today my world's become better and better because I've been able to talk to you. Oh, and you, finally Marie. we've had actually time <laughs> to talk and you really are a pretty wonderful woman and I absolutely have so so much joy in looking at your art following you um uniting people watching what you pour into um your work but also your community and it's just been a breath of fresh air oh well prior to this podcast I was having a business meeting with a friend and 10 minutes of it was spent talking about how amazing you are so we were She, my friend was like, she saved us all with this lockdown. I don't know where she gets the energy from. We are coming now to the end of this podcast. And it's this moment where I hand over to you to read a letter to your younger self. And I don't know what you're going to say, (laughs) um, but I'm really glad to be listening. And thank (laughs) you, Rebecca, for sharing a bit of your soul with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Okay, so this is written to me. Well, probably around 1993, so I'm probably about 12, 13 years old. District, babe, it's all good. Just calm down. Honestly, you're really okay, despite how you feel. You'll get over that terrible haircut and several more, and you will be allowed a pair of kickers soon. I'm really, really sorry to have to break it to you, though. Something bad is going to happen to Kurt Cobain. There's a lot of good coming, but there's also a fair amount of bad. All in all, it's pretty even, though it doesn't feel like it at the time, darling. Now, you've always been a cocky little so-and-so when it comes to drawing, so you really don't need to tell you this, but you really are actually going to make a career out of it. Crazy! I know! How nuts is that? You even try self-sabotaging regularly, but you still manage to make it work. Crazy. Let me tell you straight, 
never stop. Try not to do the five-year hiatus after uni. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun, Rebecca. Maybe try and have less fun and more work, though. Really, really learn Photoshop properly sooner than you do as well. Some people are going to be incredible along the way and cherish those people. Some people are going to be awful, but try not to dwell on them. Money will be lean at times. And that ability that you have right now to save your pocket money like Scrooge would sure come in useful later on. I can confirm, though, even though the hard times are there, you do get through them. And you're going to learn how to do a lot of brilliant things when it comes to the crunch. So school is great, right? Even when you get sent to the head's office in a few years' time with Heidi for being incredibly outrageously rude in assembly. It's okay. She actually thought it was quite funny. You're going to hang out with these friends, you know, and you're going to hang on to them for a long time. They'll always be with you. Some a little further away than you'd like, but those girls are your lifelong pals through thick and thin. You're going to need each other a hell of a lot in a hell of a lot of different ways as well. But isn't it wonderful to know they'll always pull through with you? Sorry about the bra size, darling. It's going to get way worse as well. They never stop growing. Invest in them early. You certainly won't regret it. And your leg, well, that's going to be a whole thing for ages. I'm so sorry. You do get a good 17-year gap in the middle, and you'll learn how to do Pilates and really enjoy it. But it's going to give you a lot of grief. The strength that you muster to deal with it, though, carry that weight. It'll teach you incredible things. I'm pleased to report now life is good, but you're going to lose some really important people along the way. It's going to be brutal, it's going to be hard, sad, and it's going to be difficult. Please be kinder to yourself when it happens. You're doing your absolute best, and those people around you want to support you. You will learn incredible things about yourself during these times and realise you're so much stronger than you ever thought possible. And then you're going to channel that into life and that will make things better. That will always make things better. Here's a funny thing. Listen closer in history when they start talking about Spanish flu. It's going to get really, really weird in 2020. But I don't really think I need to tell you everything. Enjoy the Germany trip in 1994. You're going to meet Claire and it's going to be lots of fun. <laughs> oh gosh I just love these your letter is just you know it just really felt like you were literally standing next to her you know and it's an amazing moment to think of you that young um and what you've got coming up and that yeah. the dreams that she had well, really emotional true. thinking about it you know really emotional because I could really feel it I, I could really so feel really. it no. <laughs> yeah anyway thank you Gosh, what a lovely, lovely letter. Thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you, um, yeah, just for being you. And I, I just, I really mean it when I, I, I see the most unbelievable thank things you. for thank you. you. And, um, and I can't wait to cheer you, yes. cheer you along the way because you're, you're, the re- you're the real deal. You're the real deal. Thanks, babe. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. But that, it means so much to hear it because you know you work in an industry where you don't hear things back all the time you know and that thank you it means a lot well, thank you i'm glad thank i'm helping you. someone <laughs> thank you for your time thank you thanks so much Before you go, don't forget, if you want to be in a chance to win a 19-minute mentoring session with me, all you need to do is sign up to NatWest Business Builder, which is packed full of videos and advice, all with the aim to help you build your business and arm you with all the tools you need. To find out more, head over to natwestbusinesshub.com forward slash Holly Tucker.
Your support really means the world to me and it really does help spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come